You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Well, good morning. Uh, today, we're going to continue our series, uh, Taking Ground. We're, continuing, we're in part two today, and uh, we're going to be in chapter two of Joshua as we go through this series, Joshua chapter two. And uh, actually had something completely different planned from the book of Joshua for today, and then kind of had a Holy Spirit redirect yesterday for my message. And I just believe when that happens, uh, God has something in particular that he wants to highlight and, and do that's special uh, this morning. And so, as my wife said, thank you for being here. I want to especially thank our hospitality team that uh, it, you always know they're important because they supply coffee, but especially on days like today. Come on, come on. How many appreciate that? All right, Joshua chapter two. I'm gonna read the first few verses to you and then we're gonna unpack it. Joshua two, verse one. It says, now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly. This is to spy out the promised land. He says, go and view the land, especially Jericho. And so they went and they came to the house of the harlot named Rahab and they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho saying, behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab and said, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman uh, took the, the two men and he, she hid them. And so she said, yes, the men came to me, but, it did not, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. And where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them within the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. And then the men pursued them by the road to Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who had pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted before you because of you, excuse me, because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. I tell you what, I bet you those two spies were encouraged when they heard this. They're, they're sent by Joshua into the promised land, and they're sent to spy out what God had already given to them generations before by inheritance. Last week we looked at the importance of being strong and courageous to take possession of the promised land. That God had, had delivered Israel from Egypt, from slavery, from bondage. And, and Egypt is, is in that picture, is a picture of what life was like for us before Jesus. That we were bound by sin, we were bound in the world, we were bound by fear and shame and guilt and all the things that had held us captive. And yet Jesus set us free by the power of the blood of Christ, that we were set free and delivered, but he didn't just save us from hell and save us from sin. He saved us for his purpose, and Israel was brought out of Egypt to bring them into something. 
He didn't just save you from, he saved you for. God has a purpose for your life and he's come to save us for his, his kingdom purpose and assignment in our, in our world today. That he's got heaven for us in our future, but he has a purpose for us today on planet earth to impact the world for Jesus. In fact, the promised land in theology is often used as a picture of heaven. And while that is true, that our ultimate promise is in heaven, the reason why I don't think that's a great analogy is because the promised land was not a place for just bliss and eternal joy. It was a place for a battle. Are, are you with me? The land was, was occupied territory. The enemy occupies every place that God has a promise for you. The enemy has tried to position the very adversity to keep you from God's promise to keep you out of the thing God has for you. And an entire generation before this missed out on the promise of God. And that's the message of Joshua is God now was ready to bring in a generation into all that he had promised by inheritance. And I just want you and I to get a hold of everything Jesus paid a price for. I want us to have everything that he paid the price for, everything that his word promises. We looked at last week. And in this story, Joshua sends two spies ahead. I think it's not by accident that he didn't send 12 like Moses did, because we know how well that went. And so he only sends two. He sends them to Jericho, the very first city that they're going to take possession of. And as they enter the city, there's already been prepared in the camp of the enemy, word has already been spread of the miracles that God has done. Now, now, when, when I was a kid, anybody ever have your mom or dad tell you spiders are more afraid of you than you are of them? None of you? Okay, so I had that problem because I'd be, I'd be you know, a little kid, I'm like, I, am, I was terrified of spiders. I think it had something to do with watching arachnophobia long before I should have. Anyway, uh, and so, so, so anytime I had a spider in the house to kill, I'd go to mom or dad and they'd be like, listen, you don't understand, that spider is more scared of you than you are of it. Can I just tell you, the enemy is more scared of you than you are of him. The devil's more terrified of one believer learning the power of prayer, learning the authority we have in Jesus, learning the power of the blood of Christ that has set them free from the grip of sin and shame. The enemy is terrified. Word has already gone into the camp of the enemy. It's time for freedom. Word has already gone into the enemy of the miracles of God and what God wants to do in your life. So, so don't ever be discouraged. Don't ever think, oh boy, the devil's out to get me. No, no. He is, he's worried that you're out to get him. Come on, church. I, I, I don't realize when you woke up, I know you woke up with an hour less sleep. You're a little tired this morning, but you're dangerous. You are dangerous, and I don't mean to the people who haven't, who've met you today before coffee. I mean to the enemy. You are dangerous to darkness. You were created to take possession of God's promises. And so Rahab, who it describes she's a harlot, is the one who God has used to protect and to preserve these two spies. Now here's, let's, let's read a few more verses. Here's what she says to them. Now therefore I beg you, verse 12, swear to me by the Lord, since I've shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And so verse 
14, so the men answered and said, our lives for your lives. If none of you tell this business of ours, it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. So she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall and she dwelt by the wall. Verse 18, unless, um, here, here's what they tell her, unless we come into the land and you bind, here's what you should do, here's the token they tell her, bind this line, a line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, mother, and, and all your father's house into your own home, then, then they'll be protected if, if that happens. She says, according to your words, so be it. So she sends them away and she bound, verse 21, a scarlet cord in the window. I want to I talk about Rahab for just a moment because Rahab's ama- an amazing picture of the goodness and grace of God. That she dwells not only among the Canaanites, not only among, uh, among the people that are about to be uh, in conflict and at war with the Israelites, but she's, more importantly, her personal story is she's a harlot, she's a prostitute, and so her, her life is involved in selling herself and, 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 and giving herself away, and yet God brings her into the story at a moment not only to preserve and protect the spies, but not only that, but to redeem her story to save her from her life, to deliver and rewrite her future destination, that her past would not define her outcome. It wouldn't define where she would be going. And, and, and listen, people all the time sell their lives, sell their future, sell their character or their value for something far less than what God has said they're worth because of not only being created in the image of God, but redeemed by the most precious sacrifice that's ever been made, the sacrifice of Jesus. I've told you thousands of times that if you want to know what you're worth, look at the cross. Look at Jesus. We, we, this week, we had an opportunity to take our kids on a little trip, a little getaway up to the Twin Cities, and we took them to the Mall of America and went into the Lego store. My kids love Legos. We have in our house a bucket of probably no less than like 50,000 Legos, and I've already claimed those. I said, kids, you can't take these with you when you leave the house. Those are for the future grandkids. They're really for me, but anyway, um, they're, they're staying in the house, and so so I told them that because. Uh, but 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 here's here's what was funny. Walking the Lego store, the kids got to make their own Lego. It's one of the things you get to do there. You customize a Lego, and they're going through this. And as I'm talking to the kids, I mentioned something. Do you guys remember the gold Lego you had? And I just mentioned that, and one of the the guys who works in the store hears that and says, "Did you have Mr. Gold?" And I'm like, "Yes, I think we did." And, and, and then he begins to call all of the other staff in the Mall of America Lego store like we were some kind of celebrity. <laughs> Guys, listen, he had Mr. Gold. And I found out why. I asked him, I'm like, well, why is that so significant? He said, don't you know, that's one of the rarest Legos in the world. Here, here's a picture. Yeah, this is, this is actually, this picture is what it used to look like. And I bought it for $4. And when I opened, it was a little random pack I bought from one of my boys. And, and I opened it up, and I thought, this is stupid. <laughs> like, the kids want Star Wars characters, warriors, like something fun. Instead, they get, like, the Monopoly man who's gold. Like, you know, nothing exciting. And so, so I gave it to the boys, and they didn't know it was one of the rarest in the world, so it got discarded. Now, this is what's left of Mr. Gold. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and it looks like it was chewed on. So I, I don't know which of the kids did that or the dog, but I'm going to blame the dog. Um, yeah, so that's all that's left. And, and this recently was sold for $7,000. I mean, that's ridiculous. But anyway, that's, 
See, see, we didn't know what we had. Sometimes people don't know their worth. They don't know their value. They don't know their significance. They don't know what God has planned for them. And so they settle for something short-term, temporary. They sell themselves. They sell their future. They compromise their integrity and values. And they give up on something that has eternal worth for something very temporary. And that's been the story of Rahab until this very moment. Because in this moment, she realizes there's something that can rewrite my story. There's something different about this. And of course, she's initially, she just wants to be saved. She just wants protection. She just wants to be delivered from the destruction that's about to come to Jericho. And she recognizes this God who's with you, Israel, is the Lord. He's the one that parted the Red Sea. He's the one that defeated your enemies and went before you. And this God, if, if, if I protect you, will you protect me? And in this moment, something happens in the life of Rahab that is wonderful. Not only does she get protected, and here's what they tell her, because she lives on the wall. And just a little spoiler alert, the walls of Jericho are about to collapse. The miracle of Jericho is that God would cause the walls to collapse and Israel would enter and conquer the city. But there was one part that was protected, and it was the part that was preserved with the scarlet cord. There was only one place of safety in the whole wall because people build their lives just like they lived along the walls of Jericho. People build their lives every single day on something that will ultimately collapse. And the only place of security, the only place of salvation, the only place of protection is a place of our scarlet cord. It's a place of the blood of Jesus. It's the place of the cross. It's a place that Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And so here's the story. Rahab is protected and delivered. And, and, but that's not the end of the story. In fact, Rahab's mentioned several more times in the Bible because she's about to enter into the, the redemption story of not only Israel, but a part of the redemption story that God had for the world. She would marry into a very special family. She would marry into and become a part of the family of Israel, but she would actually be in the lineage of David, who would come just a few generations later. And, and, and so, so she comes and is a part of the lineage of David, which is significant because David would one day become king. But even more importantly, if you read the beginning of the Gospels in the New Testament in the book of Matthew, it tells us of a woman named Rahab who's now a part of the story, the one who was a harlot, the one who was a prostitute, the one who was a part of the Gentile nation in Canaan and Jericho is now a part of the lineage of Jesus himself. God wants to redeem your story just like he redeemed her story. What does the blood of Jesus do in my life and yours? Well, it not only washes away our sin, not only causes us to receive forgiveness for our past and restored. Do you know what redemption does? When something's redeemed, it's restored in value and worth. It's purchased back. And that's what redemption does, that Jesus came to purchase what God had created, what sin had marred and separated. God said, I love you so much, I'm going to give everything to purchase you back. And he sent Jesus to redeem. And I love this story because what saved Rahab was not her religious activities. It wasn't that she, she was now fixed all of the things in her life yet. It was that she was in the place of the scarlet cord. She was in the place of protection. She 
she was in the place where God had, had called her to be, to be saved. And what saves you and I is not religion, is not our own efforts and our own good works. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross. And she becomes a part of, God redeems her past and saves her from, from the shame of her past to protect her and preserve her to be a part of the redemption story that God had for humanity. That's amazing. That's what the goodness of God does. That God takes our mess. He takes our past. He takes our sin, our shame. He takes our brokenness. I hear from people all the time, well, if you really knew me, if you really knew what I'm like and who I am, I wouldn't be welcome. I wouldn't be able to be a part of this. I wouldn't be, I, I, I wouldn't, no, no, no. Here's the amazing thing about God. He invites everyone to be saved, everyone to be free, everyone to be forgiven. Jesus did not come for the, for the religious crowd. He came for the lost and the broken. And, and listen, the religious crowd needed salvation as much as the prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners, as much as the Rahabs. What can God do if he redeems your story? Because that's what he does with Rahab. He takes the mess of her past. He takes the mess of her history. And he redeems her story so greatly that now she's a part of the greatest story that's ever been known. But the only place of salvation was the place where the scarlet cord was. And, and I know in our world we like this idea. We don't like the idea of, of an exclusive savior. We don't like the idea of, well, Jesus is the only way to salvation. <laughs> but li listen, if, if you're dying of a disease and there's only one cure, it's not insensitive to tell you so. If you're in a building that's on fire and there's only one exit, it's not insensitive to tell you so. In fact, it's actually love that compels us to say there's a place on the wall. All else is going to collapse one day. Everything else that people are putting their trust and their confidence in, and listen, a few years ago was just a dress rehearsal that shook the foundations for a lot of people. But the Bible says that everything that can be shaken in the world will be shaken, but there is one thing that is unshakable. It's the place of the scarlet cord. It's the place of Jesus. It's the place of salvation that's only found in him. Jesus redeems our past. It's a great story in John chapter 8 where a woman's brought to Jesus. It says she's brought to him in the very moment of adultery. She's brought to Jesus, and as she comes to Jesus, the religious crowd is ready to condemn her. And actually, the prescription was that they would literally publicly stone people to death. And so they brought her to Jesus and say, what do you say about what she's done? And Jesus begins to do something. He, he, he writes on the ground, he, he, you know, as they're you know, casting accusations at her and telling, her, telling Jesus what she's done, he stoops to the ground and he writes in the dirt. The Bible doesn't tell us what he's writing. But when he gets up, he says, let he who is without sin cast the very first stone. And in John 8, it says from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to drop the rocks because the older people have long, lived long enough to realize they ain't perfect. <laughs> and they start to walk away. And eventually, there's no one left but Jesus and the woman. And he looks at her and he says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, they're all gone. 
And here's what I love, the beauty of what redemption does. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus says, you're forgiven. I don't condemn you. The only one who was without sin was Jesus. And rather than cast a stone like the religious crowd was wanting to, Jesus rescued her. Jesus will rescue every single one of us, no matter our history, no matter our family history. So many people are so caught up in, in what they've been born into and what they've come from and, 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 and broken homes and broken families and, and addiction and, 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 and all, uh, violence and, and anger and, and all the stuff that is, has occupied from the very beginning of the fall of mankind that has filled households throughout the world. No matter your family story, no matter what you've been given, no matter what's come before you, no matter even what you've done, there's hope and there's redemption found in Jesus. That's the story of Rahab. And if we're going to take ground for God, we've got to be able to move forward from what's held us in the past. I love this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. It says, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what's, what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and also of David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms. Listen to what all of these guys did through faith. They subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched violence, the violence of fire and escaped the edge of the sword and out of weakness were made strong and became valiant in battle and turned to flight the armies of, of the aliens. What, what, what's it saying? These guys fought by faith. They won great, they took ground for the kingdom. They took ground for God and all of us can celebrate. This is known as the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And I don't think it's an accident it's very purposeful that the Holy Spirit highlights through the writer of Hebrews that Rahab's right up there with all the heroes of the faith. Did she win a great battle? No. Did she defeat giants and stop the mouths of lions? No. But what she did was no less significant. She overcame her history. She overcame her past. She put her trust in the only means of salvation and hope. She put, by faith, she protected the spies and she joined to the people of God. By faith, she overcame. She could have gone with the rest of the crowd. But instead, she was preserved and her story was redeemed. Yeah, Matthew 1, 5. Let me read this. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. I know everybody's favorite verses are the genealogies in the Bible. But right in the midst of the genealogies, they're there for a reason. Right in the midst of those is a story that most of us don't even know. But right in the middle of that story is somebody's life that was saved and redeemed. It says, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz begot Obed and by Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. So, so in the lineage of a king, in the lineage of the future hope of Israel, came Rahab the prostitute. Come on, Jesus, what can God do with your story? What can God do with redemption in your life? What can God do with the story of you being set free and overcoming? Because you, just like Rahab's a part of the hall of faith, it's no less significant when you overcome addiction through the faith that you have in Christ. When you overcome fear, when you overcome shame. Listen, it's time for the church to take ground. 
But the only way we're going to take ground is when we allow God to redeem our story, when we allow him to set us free from what's gone before and move forward into what he has ahead. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. That's our scarlet cord, church. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And if that was all, that would be enough to celebrate. But Rahab wasn't the only one that was saved that day. And this is what I want to challenge you to. Because Rahab not only received redemption and was rescued, but her entire household was rescued. Her entire family was rescued. Everyone that found protection under the scarlet cord. Everyone that she invited to her house for protection was saved that day. Point number two, I've only got two points for you because it's daylight savings. Keep it simple. Point number two, not only does God want to redeem our story, God wants us to reclaim our family's future. He wants us to reclaim our family's future. Can I just tell you, it's, it's not an accident you're in the family you're in. And, and, and before you throw a stone at me, <laughs> some are like, no, I've been, okay, anyway, I'll just stop. It's not an accident you're in the generation you're in, in the time we're in, in the family we're in, and maybe your family story has been a mess. I think, to be honest, most of us in some level, because there's no such thing as a perfect family, there's been stuff, there's been history, there's been messes, but God has an inheritance and a purpose. God actually designed family to be the means by which future generations are blessed. But because of sin, sin turns us inward. He makes, sin makes us self-centered. And, and, and have you noticed that the more self-focused we are, the less happy we are, the less fulfilled we are? I mean, we've had literally decades of, you know, I, I, you know it started in a, in a good place. Like, we, we want to have good self-esteem. We don't want to feel bad about ourselves. And it started okay, but then it's become more and more self-absorbed until we're at a place where it's all about me all the time at every moment. And we're no less fulfilled. We're no less satisfied. We're no less peaceful or hopeful. And it's that very root that has literally torn families apart, has torn lives apart. And the very thing that should have been a vehicle for blessing has instead been a trap for discouragement. But you know God had a plan for your family. God has a plan for your family. And, 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 and God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your future. Just like Rahab was redeemed, God gave her a future. There is an inheritance for every person and every family on planet earth. There's a God-given, God-breathed purpose. Isaiah 61 is the mission statement of the Messiah. Jesus quotes from this in Luke 4 when he shows up on the scene, but I want to read you Isaiah 61 real quick. I want you to see this. Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. 
He sent me to heal. This is Jesus. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who were bound, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of the vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn, to console all who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, joy, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness." The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Let's pause there, pause there for a second. This is what Jesus does. Jesus preaches the good news that he's come to save us. The poor is not just those, and it applies to everything. It's, it starts with those who are broken and poor. Jesus didn't just come for the kings and those in power and those who are wealthy. He came for everybody. But more importantly, he came for those who are poor in spirit, which is all of us. None of us came to God with full hands. None of us came to God to be able to say, I've earned my way to God. I've earned my way to heaven. No, we were all broken. We were all destitute. And Jesus came to rescue us. And, and, and he says, I've come to give you something. I've come to make an exchange. You've got mourning because of loss, because of heartache, because of what sin has created in your life and in your family and in your household. In your generation, there's mourning over what, what didn't go the way God intended and the way you hoped it would go. But God makes an exchange. He says, you've got mourning, I've got joy. You've got ashes, the ashes of a life burned to the ground, the ashes of, of failures, the ashes of our, of our own sin and the sins of others against us. We've got ashes, and he says, oh, I've got beauty for that. Would you trade me your ashes, and I, I'll give you beauty in exchange? And he makes an exchange. He says, you've got heaviness. I've got praise. I've got joy. I've got peace. And He says, here's why. That you may be called a tree, a tree of righteousness. In other words, you were cut down by sin, cut down by your past, cut down by the world, but I've come to plant you in my purpose. Yes. Yes. You just don't know my past. I know my Jesus. <laughs> I know what he can do. I know what he's done in my life. You don't know my family. Well, maybe your family tree, it's time for it to be transplanted in the kingdom. Yeah. But here's, here's where it continues, the next verse. He says that they, God wants you and I to be saved, trees of righteousness planted by God, that God would be glorified, that listen to what God has called you to do and me to do, that they may rebuild the old ruins that they may raise up the former desolations. He saved you from the mourning and saved you from the shame, but he saved you for something, church. Yes. That they shall repair the ruined cities. What if God has called you for such a time as this to our city, to our community, to our neighborhoods, to our families? What if God has called you to do this very thing? Repair the ruined cities. The desolations of many generations. And, and this can be the big stuff. This can be the, the effects of what sin creates in a community and what it creates in a family. But you know, it also is true that there's unfulfilled promise that God has, that if one generation doesn't get it, God wants the next generation to take possession of it. Yes. I, I don't talk about this very often, but one of the things that's a passion of mine is writing. And, and a few years ago, I had an opportunity to write a whole bunch of books. But you know what the start of that was? I, the reason I, I got started in that actually came from an unfulfilled promise in my family. My grandfather, years ago, was an author, 
He became a Christian. Jesus saved him. But he never connected in church, never connected in community. And I believe there was still a, a, there were still things that God had put inside of him that he was to write. And he had some earthly success in it. But there was a kingdom purpose that God had in his life, and I believe it remained unfulfilled. And so I, I asked God, I said, God, give me that. God, I, I want to have that. There's unfulfilled inheritance in my family that I want to take possession of. And so, so because of that, because I, I, I pressed into that and started asking God, God, help me to write, help me to do, and, and, and so because of that, there's literally people in other parts of the world that I've been able to reach that I'll never meet. Leave this side of heaven. But because there was an unfulfilled, un, really unrealized inheritance in my family. What has God called you to do? He's called you to rebuild, repair, not only ruined cities, but the desolations of generations. What has the enemy burned to the ground that God has called you to recapture? It's time to reclaim your family's future inheritance. What did, what did life steal? What did people's choices neglect or, or forsake? She invites her family to her house. In Exodus 12, I'm almost done, but in Exodus 12, the very first Passover happens. And, and if you know the story, there. They're to take the, a, a, a lamb, the Passover lamb, the very first Passover lamb, and they're to take the, the blood of that lamb and apply it over the doorpost of their house. And as death would pass over Egypt, that's where Passover comes from, that the angel of death would literally pass over the households that were covered by blood. And God would preserve and protect the households of Israel from what was coming on Egypt. And God gave them this instruction in Exodus 12. He said, you're to take a lamb for the household. And I want to challenge you, church, that while faith is personal, while faith must be received personally, no one can, can, can make the decision for me to follow Jesus. And, and the other side of that is no one gets to heaven because there's no such thing as spiritual grandchildren. God has no spiritual grandchildren. He has sons and daughters. So, so what do I mean by spiritual grandchildren? I'm not going to get to heaven because of my parents' faith or my grandparents' faith, but my faith in Jesus because I got into the house covered with the scarlet cord because I said, this Jesus who I've, I've been told about is the Savior, and just like Rahab says, I'm going to put my trust in this God. I'm going to do the same. And that's what preserves us. That's what protects us. But there's a, there's a taking ground that I believe God's called us to in our families that we need to get a lamb for the household. What do I mean by that? At the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua says this. He says, listen, all of Israel, they conquered the promised land. They have defeated the giants, the enemies. They've taken the cities. They've done all the stuff that God told them to do. And Joshua says, okay, before we're done, I want you all to make a decision. Y'all may decide that you're going to go back to idols. But as for me and my house, I'm making a decision. We're going to serve the Lord. <laughs> as for me and my house, do you know what he's doing? He's, he's setting the standard. He's, he's putting the scarlet cord over his house. He's saying, my house belongs to God. My family belongs to God, and I'm going to contend for it. 
I think there's something in the church that we lose our fight for, our, our promise, our inheritance, our family. We look at people and go, well, they're just too far gone or they're too, they're, they don't care about the things of God. No, no. What if you and I took possession of the promise? What if you and I said, no, we're not going to give up on our families. We're not going to give up on our cities. We're not going to give up on our generation. We're not going to give up on what God has called us to take ground in. We're going to reclaim our family's future. We're going to take ground. Paul the apostle is in prison and he's beaten, he's, he's, he's mocked, he's put in jail with Silas and his response, I mean, it was a worse day than daylight savings, I promise. And he's put in prison and here's his response to adversity. He starts worshiping. He starts singing of the goodness of God. And God's presence steps into that prison because God will meet you anywhere. God will find you anywhere. No matter how dark, no matter how bleak, no matter how difficult, God will step into that situation. Just invite him. Just set your eyes on Jesus. And, and he begins to worship and God fills the prison, the darkest place in the city of Philippi. And in that prison, God begins to shake the chains and break the chains and open prison doors. And all of a sudden, every captive in that prison gets set free. Did you hear me? Every prison, it's in Acts 16, you can look it up yourself. Every prisoner benefited from the breakthrough of two people, Paul and Silas. Because they worshiped, others were set free. I, I don't know if you quite caught what I'm saying yet. Because, because of your faith, because of your worship, because of your prayers, because you're saying, I'm going to contend for my family, I'm going to take ground, I'm not going to give up on them, I'm going to go after it for God, I want everything that God has for my family, I'm going to take possession of the promise. Because of that, others will be set free. I don't have time to go through all these verses that are in the notes, but, but, but there's like... I don't know, maybe eight or nine. I've got at least four or five of them for my slides. But there's like eight or nine verses in the Old Testament that all say something like this. God had mercy on this king because of his father David. God showed kindness to this man, to this descendant, to this king, even though he was a knucklehead. That's not exactly how the Bible puts it, but that's the idea. Because of his father David. In other words, they were positioned for something they didn't even deserve or didn't even pursue because somebody else generations before said, I'm going to honor God, I'm going to seek God, and I'm going to fight to claim the future of my family. When you break through church, you're not the only one who benefits. When God rewrites your story, you're not the only one who's set free. There's some things that have run through your family, but it's going to stop running when it hits you. There's some stuff that has robbed your family of its future. There's, I mean, people don't recognize this. It happens all the time. People go, well, yeah, my mom dealt with this issue, and my grandma dealt with this issue, and now I'm 33, the same age, and I'm dealing with the same thing. Can I just tell you, that's not just a, a, a coincidence, because the enemy's been trying to steal for generations. The same devil that brought fear, who brought depression, who brought anxiety, who brought addiction, that same... Can I just tell you, there's a spiritual battle? Yes. We talked about that last week. And the same thing they fought, but may not have overcome, is the same thing God has called you to overcome. Why? Because it isn't just about you. It's about everyone that's going to come after you. 
There's things that I've not had to fight through because somebody else in my family broke that curse. Because somebody else in my family decided we're going to let it stop with us. Maybe it's time for you today to reclaim your family's future. Paul set free. Silas is set free. Not only are the prisoners set free, but there's a, the prison guard, his job is keep the prisoners captive or you're dead. So he panics. All the jail cells are open and he assumes everybody's left because why not? I mean, if the jail door opens, what else are you going to do? Are, are you with me? Like if the prison door opens, you're walking out. <laughs> but there's such a moment of that they're so captured in the presence of God. Philippian jailer is ready to take his own life. And Paul cries out to him. He says, don't do it. We're all here. And the guy's response is, sir, what must I do to be saved? And you know what Paul says to him? And this is what I want you to catch. If we can put this reference up in, in the book of Acts. Yeah, thank you. He says, here's what you need to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't just say, you shall be saved. But Paul, by the Holy Spirit, knows there's more to what God wants to do in this man's family, in this man's household, in this man's life, than just save him. He says, you and your household. What if, church, we got back to fighting for our households? Do you know the start of the Philippian church that Paul would later write a letter to started with this man's house? His family was the start of a city's revival. It all started with his family. What could God start in North Iowa with your family? What could God start in your life, like Rahab? No matter your history, no matter your past, what if we would believe God? Jeremiah 31, 17, Jason, if you would come. Jeremiah 31, 17, there is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. This is a promise for some of us whose kids are far from God. Not just to put on a shelf, but there's an offensive side to fighting with God's word that we need to recapture in our generation. That we take hold of God's promise, like I described last week. Because remember, God's word, remember last week? God's word isn't just to be memorized, studied, quoted, preached from, but it's a sword to fight with. Some of us have great swords, but they're collecting dust on a shelf. Your sword was never meant for decoration. Your sword was meant for a battle. And that fight was not with your family. It's for your family. It's not with your spouse. It's for your spouse. It's not with your neighbors. It's for your neighbors. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'd like to pray with you before we go and... I just want to remind you today that whether it's for you, for your household, for your family, for whatever God's putting on your heart, wherever God has said, this is your promised land, this is your assignment. I've been in, I've been in workplaces, work environments where I was, the only, I was the only Christian in the whole place. And some people don't like that. They, they think, well, this is, this is tough, God. I don't want to be... A, I don't want to be in this environment, but you don't realize God sent you. <laughs> Do you know mission fields aren't just places in far-flung countries? And I totally forgot to share what I was going to share during offering. 
because I completely forgot that too. This month, we have an opportunity. We had already fully funded, because of your giving, 50 church planters in the nation of Indonesia, one of the largest Muslim nation in the world, population-wise, a place where churches on a regular basis are burned to the ground, where many times people cannot worship publicly. In fact, on, on their, from, unless this has changed, just a few years ago, you had to publicly put on your driver's license, on your ID, what, what your faith was or what your religion was. And that meant there were certain things you didn't have the opportunity to do because of that. In the midst of that, revival's breaking out. And now this is 210 church planters we've been able to fund and train overseas through the Surge Project. But the reason I, I say that is there's no situation too dark. There's no situation too hopeless. And mission fields are not just like that. That's the mission field. But the mission field also looks like the workplace God's put you in, the family God's put you in, the assignment that God's put you in. I remember years ago praying to God, God, I'm ready for my church and my ministry and all these things that you told me about. And, and God, God had to help me with that a little bit. He had to say, Brian, um, your ministry's right around you. There were broken, hurting people right there in my path that I was overlooking because of the next thing. And do you know what changed when I started praying for instead of fighting with? Started seeing God move in the lives of people that were my staff and, and the people we served in my job. And, and, and the reason I say that is because all of us, there's an opportunity in front of us and there's no one too hopeless. There's no situation too dark. Whether you're like Rahab or whether you're surrounded by Rahabs, God has called us to reclaim and to see his redemptive purpose fulfilled in the lives of people. I'm gonna ask you to do this. If you bow your heads and close your eyes today. And if our altar team members would come to the front, I want us to pray for something. If you're in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you'd like to, Maybe you've, in your own mind, in your own heart, you've kind of like talked yourself out of the things of God. That God could never really love me. And we often look to our, our past, our mess, our, sometimes just our present, where things are. And we think, well, God could never love me. God could never forgive me. God could never save me. No, no, he's in the business of redeeming and restoring. And maybe you don't know what you have in your life that God's given you. Just like I didn't know the value of that thing I bought my kids years ago. I didn't know what it was worth. I didn't know its significance. Do you know what you're worth to God? That your life matters, that it's significant, that God has a purpose for you. You're not an accident. You're not a number. You're not a statistic like the world tries to define you as. The world will use and abuse people, but God has a purpose for you. He comes to give us beauty for ashes. And today, if you have never received Jesus in your life, and you'd like to, or today you say, you know what, I've, I've, I've been far from God, and I need to rededicate my life to Jesus. If either of those are for you, I want to give you an opportunity right here and now, right at your seat, right where you're at, to, to respond not to a message, but to God himself. And if you're in here, you say, I need Jesus in my life. 
Would you pray with me? I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer, but I'm going to ask you to respond. And here's how you can respond. By lifting your hand and saying, God, I need you. That's me. I need Jesus. I need God in my life. I'm going to lead you in this prayer now. And I'm going to ask everyone else to pray this with us to encourage those that respond. Would you pray this with me? Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. Be Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I trust you. And today I'll follow you. From this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At the, at the Connect Center, those who responded, I want to encourage you, stop by the Connect Center, the table out there for the guests, but stop by there and we have a book for you that'll equip you, tell you how to take your next steps in your faith and your walk with Jesus, help you grow in your faith, because God's called you to take ground too, every one of us. One last thing before we go, I'm going to ask, if you're in here and you say, you know what, I'm ready to take ground in my household for my family, for my future. Maybe it's like I described, there's something that you recognize has was a God-given purpose that went unfulfilled. And today you say, you know what? I wanna grab hold of that. Because I believe there's, there's some families in here where there's been multi-generational businesses that were supposed to happen that the enemy stopped. Their stolen inheritance. The enemy knew what God had planned and, 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 and designed. God created family for blessing, but maybe the enemy came in and brought destruction to that family. And today you're gonna say, I, I'm not gonna be a victim of my circumstance and my past, but I'm gonna be more than a conqueror through Jesus. And I'm gonna reclaim my family's future. If that's you, I want you to lift your hands to God. I wanna pray with you right now, right here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every promise that you have over every life, every family, every, every person in here and all those they represent. And God, today we take hold of the promise. We say yes to you, God. And we say it's time for the enemy to loose our family, loose his hold. And today in Jesus' name, the things that have stolen will steal no longer. The things that have gone unfulfilled will be fulfilled in Jesus' name. In fact, I want you to tell God, God, I claim every unfulfilled promise and inheritance over my life and family in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you. And maybe today what the, what, what the, what the enemy when from generation, and you recognize it, like it's not even hard to figure out. You see the pattern. You see what the enemy did in one generation and maybe another generation, but now you say, it stops with me. No longer. It doesn't go to my kids. It doesn't, it doesn't affect my marriage like it did there. It doesn't, no, no, in Jesus' name, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're going to take a stand. Come on, you're taking ground today in Jesus' name. There's going to be people like David's descendants that are blessed, not even because what they did, but because you made a decision today. You broke through. You took your ground. God, we love you. We honor you.
We bless you today. I thank you for every life, every person in this room that you've redeemed, that you've rewritten their story. Their future isn't determined by their past, by what they've done or by what others have done to them. We thank you for the gift of grace, the gift of repentance, the gift of faith, that we can put our trust in a perfect Savior who's rewritten our story, made all things new. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, if you have a need in here and you'd like someone to pray with you, our amazing prayer team's up front, and it would be our honor and privilege to pray with you. Maybe you need healing or freedom or something in your life. Let's pray with you. We love you guys. Have an awesome rest of your day. Again, thank you for joining us. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.